Hi, this is Kale Clark with The Faith Explained. We'll return to our series on Romans very soon, but for now, enjoy this classic episode of The Faith Explained Show. Hi, this is Kale Clark. Welcome to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. I'm so glad that you're with me today for this journey of exploring, understanding, explaining, and defending our Catholic faith. God is always involved. All three persons in the Godhead are involved in everything that God does from all eternity. The Spirit is there hovering over the waters of creation in Genesis, but the Holy Spirit becomes more well-known in the age of the Church. But he's often called the Great Unknown. St. Maria called him that, and we have to get more in touch with him. We've been talking about how a shortcut to holiness is really being very docile to these inspirations from the Holy Spirit. So says no less an authority than St. Faustina Kowalska, the Apostle of Divine Mercy. We've talked about this beautiful little book by Father Jacques Philippe, In the School of the Holy Spirit. He's got so many great suggestions for how we can get in touch with the Spirit and live uh, better with Him. And He talks about how we can foster these inspirations of the Spirit in our life. We need them because in order to know God's particular will for each one of us, the Spirit is going to nudge us. Sometimes more than nudge, he's going to give us a little push in one direction or another in various ways. So how can we be docile to them? Well, we've got to set ourselves up for success. One thing we can do, and we talked about this in the last episode, you can check the podcast on RelevantRadio.com, the Relevant Radio app to get all caught up on this series, we talked about the first thing he says, which is to practice praise and thanksgiving. This really draws down a lot of graces from God. If we thank him for what we've already gotten from him, he's in a hurry to pour out even more grace. And St. Therese of Lisieux said, in fact, if we thank him for a gift, he hastens to give us 10 more. If we thank him again for those, there's an incalculable multiplication of graces. She says, try it and you will see. That sounds like a pretty good deal. The second thing that Father Jacques Philippe says is not only to practice praise and thanksgiving, but to desire and ask for the graces of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask. Uh, You have not because you ask not. That's what St. James says in his letter. And when we have big decisions to make, we need to have a big ask. And sometimes the way to, to do that, to ask for more light from God, is to maybe take some extra time with him sort of commensurate with the seriousness of the ask. If we're asking for light on a vocation or a big decision in life, perhaps, it might be appropriate to go on retreat. And as Father Philippe says, it would be very, very strange if God didn't answer you, if he didn't give you the inspiration that you need. And of course he will. The third thing he says, and we've got to pick it up here, he says to resolve to refuse God nothing. We've got to make up our minds once and for all to never say no to God. And that's, that's all about obedience. And our pride always makes us want to rebel. It's been that way ever since the Garden of Eden. And so we've really got to work at this. We've really got to work at obedience. And God has his ways to, to help us along with that. The events and circumstances of life, we'll talk about that in, in just a second. And it's not going to be, we're not going to be perfect at this. We never will be. And this is obviously marked by the fact that we have to go to confession on a regular basis. 
sin is essentially failure to obey God and not refusing God everything. We're, we're, we're saying, no, I am going to refuse you this. I'm going to do it my own way in whatever area of life we're talking about. So that's okay. We're, we're not going to be impeccable in this, obeying God and everything. But here's what we can shoot for. The determination, the willingness to refuse God nothing. We're not always going to be able to do it. But as long as we have this mindset of goodwill, that our, our default position is whatever God wants, we're going we're gonna to be able to, to do that most of the time. And we'll get better and better at it as we go along. Some dangers here, though. Father Philippe says that the devil likes to trip us up sometimes with scruples. Uh, some of you out there have struggled a great deal with scrupulosity, and I know I have for sure in my own life. And one of the tricks that the enemy likes to use is trying to discourage us by saying, you've missed the will of God in your life. You know, because of your obstinance, because of your selfishness, because of bad decisions that you made, bad choices, you've missed it. If you'd only been obedient to God the whole time, the path would have been clear, you know, paved with golden stones, if you will. And, and that's sometimes a, a trick of the enemy. God cannot be outfoxed by the devil, okay? He's, not, he's the great chess master of life. He's, no matter what he throws at us, God is going to be able to get victory for us, for you in your life. He's going to be able to work through the circumstances, even terrible things. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But you've got to be led by love, Father Philippe says. Be led by love, not by fear. This idea of missing the fear of missing God's will. St. Francis de Sales said, we should love obeying more than we fear disobeying. We should love obeying more than we fear disobedience. So this is a, a muscle that we have to strengthen. Just like when we work out, we strengthen our muscles. We've got to strengthen the spiritual muscle of docility. Of saying, God, I want what you want. I'm not going to refuse your will. And not to let ourselves get upset. You know, we will fail at this from time to time, but don't let the devil trip you up. Just get back on the horse and keep going. It really kind of confuses the devil, too, when you do that. He's like, well, hold on here. I, I was trying to upset this guy to the point where he just wants to ab abandon the whole project. Well, well, don't do that. No, just, just get back on the horse. Go to confession if you need to. Keep trucking along. Keep on keeping on. All right, number four. The fourth thing that we can do to help foster these inspirations from the Holy Spirit is to practice filial and trusting obedience. That's what Father Jacques Philippe says, practice filial and trusting obedience. And of course, we are uh, sons and daughters of God by virtue of our baptism. And, and this idea of being children of God, this, this divine filiation is something that we always have to keep in mind. So one of the, one of the biggest ways to figure out more of what God's will is for our lives, especially in these sort of individual circumstances that aren't covered in the Bible. They're not covered in the commandments, not specifically. For example, who should I get married to if I'm called to marriage, that sort of thing, or, or even a, a number of other little issues. God cares about everything. He knows the number of hairs on our head. So if we want to get more of these inspirations about the specific things, we have to start obeying what we already know God wants us to do. And again, this is the general will of God, which is revealed in the commandments, revealed in the teaching of the church, revealed in the scriptures. If we're, obedience, if we're obedient to what we already know we need to do, or we ought to do, then that's going to be a good foundation for 
further and further insight, further and further touches from the Spirit. If we ignore what God wants, though, and if we're disobedient to him, that's going to set us back. And he, he might actually stop or slow down these motions. Um, I think sometimes we, we feel like God is a parent who says, you know, Johnny, go clean your room. You know, and if you don't do it, Johnny, I told you, go clean your room. And, and a parent who asks a lot, like, you know, 10 or 11 times, I told you to go clean your room. It doesn't always work like that in the spiritual life. Sometimes God gives us a motion, gives us an inspiration, tells us what we need to do. But if we if we're not obedient to it, then sometimes he, he doesn't he doesn't say, you know, go clean your room again. Sometimes he does, but other times he'll just kind of let you go your own way because he respects our freedom. And this is what Jesus said in the gospel in Luke chapter 19, verse 26. To everyone who has, more will be given. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Even what he has will be taken away. So we have to be very, very careful. We've got to be obedient to what we do know God wants us to do and, and not take it lightly. So when he sees us faithful, when he sees us doing our best, we're not always going to be perfect, but when he sees us giving it um, the old college try, if you will, uh, with goodwill, trying to fulfill the commandments, trying to fulfill what's expected of us personally and professionally in our relationships, the teachings of the church, what scripture says, uh, then that's going to be a good foundation for us for him revealing more and more to us and let's talk about obedience a little bit here too this is um this is a big one and, and father jacques philippe says that quote let's not forget either to consent for love of god to all the legitimate opportunities for obedience that present themselves to us in the areas of community life family life or social life of course, we must obey God rather than men, but it would be an illusion to think that we were capable of obeying God if we are incapable of obeying other people. End of quote. That's a, that's a profound thought. We're not going to really be able to obey God if we can't obey other people. Now, who are we talking about here? We're talking about legitimate authorities in our lives. If you're, if you're a child living under your parents' roof, you're, you're under the age of 18, let's say, then you're subject to the laws of the household. Some of those laws you might not be kosher with. You know, you might not agree with them necessarily, but hey, you're still there and they have a legitimate authority, your parents over you. And as kids, we all kind of chafe at these things, but, but it's a great expression of love of God. If we can obey those things, even if they don't make sense to us, even if they're they're not necessarily directly tied into the commandments of God. It's just the way that your parents want you to do stuff or something like that. Um, that that's great, great grounds for spiritual fruitfulness there. What about in the workplace? We often have to obey our boss, the directives of our legitimate superiors, and maybe we chafe about that. Our boss is just wrong. He or she is just off their rocker. Don't they see? Don't they, don't they know that I have a better way? This is really, really uh, a, a good training ground for uh, putting our ego on the shelf. You know, ego is always the enemy, isn't it? And, and and you might actually be right. You might actually be right. Maybe you do have a better idea, but 
you'll gain a lot of spiritual fruit from the obedience, even if it doesn't make much sense. And maybe your boss should listen more to you. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, sometimes we have we all have to do things that we we don't necessarily like or agree with, and, and hopefully you have a, a work relationship where you can openly talk about these things. But the point of it is this: this is what Jacques Philippe says. The same obstacle has to be overcome in both cases. We're talking about obeying God and obeying other people. Attachment to ourselves and to our own will is always the obstacle. If we can only obey people when it happens to please us, we are fooling ourselves about being able to obey the Holy Spirit. Yeah, when your boss says, hey, man, that was a great idea. We're going to roll with that. Yeah, sure, I'll carry out that directive. Yeah, that's never, never a problem, right? But when it's something else that, that, that is contrary to, to what you're thinking, that's where it becomes a problem. So if we can only obey other people when it happens to please us, we're fooling ourselves about being able to obey the Holy Spirit. Because we can't renounce our own will, what our own idea is, our, our own attachments, our own tastes. If we can't renounce those things for other people, what guarantee is it that we'll ever be able to do so when God wants us to do that? When God asks you to renounce something for his sake? No, 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 no. That's my thing, God. I'm not going to give that over to you. <laughs> we, we do this sort of stuff all the time. And so we're often just not aware of it. So I think Father Philippe is right on with that. And there's so many little ways to practice this, especially in, not just in the workplace, but in, in family life as well. Uh, your, your wife or maybe your child wants to watch a certain television show and you'd really rather not. You'd rather watch the game, but you do it. You do it because that, that's what the, the others want. It's, it's solid interior mortification there. Or, or what are we going to have for dinner? I'd really like the steak. No, no, we're gonna have we're gonna have veal, or we're gonna have you know liver. Liver? What? You know. But it, anyways, uh, I'm not saying go that far, but <laughs> but these are great opportunities for um, strengthening that obedience muscle. I, I think that's really important. Father Jacques Philippe uh, is right to point that out. So let's go with uh, another one here. Number five, he says, practice abandonment. Oh man, this this is a tough one. Uh, this is a really tough one for a lot of people, including yours truly. This idea of abandonment. So what are we talking about when we talk about abandonment? Uh, abandonment to divine providence. So many spiritual writers have, have written about this. This is a form of obedience. And Jacques Philippe says it's obedience to events. It's obedience to events. Because there are certain events that, that happen in our lives that are not what we want. And sometimes they're downright bad. They, they can even be evil events. Now, we have to be really, really clear here. God is not the author of evil. God does not tempt anyone to sin. God does not force anyone to sin. Not at all. God is not the author of sin. He doesn't tempt anyone. Scripture talks about this. Very, very clear about it. However, God has created a world with freedom. And that freedom extends to angels and men. Of course, uh, the bad angels rebelled. They used to be good. Lucifer, who became Satan, and all his minions, a third of the angels rebelled against God, were cast out of heaven, became fallen angels or demons. And of course, human beings also have free will to obey God or not. And the reason for this is quite simple. God basically said, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. But in order for there to be true love, a true relationship, 
between God and his creatures, there has to be freedom because love can never be coerced. It has to be freely given. And so God does allow for the possibility of evil, even though he doesn't personally will it. This can still be scandalous for us, though. Father, Father Philippe talks about this. The greatest example that we can possibly think of on this front is the passion, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus Christ. Did God want Judas to turn traitor? Of course not. Did God want Pilate to prove himself to be a coward? No. But he did permit these things. And here's the other thing he says, too. He said he wanted Jesus to give filial consent to these events. We talked about being a son or daughter of God in this divine filiation. We have to say yes to God's will. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He sets the example for us. He said, Father, this is not what I will, but not what I will, but what you will. That's, that's the important thing, Garden of Gethsemane. If there's some way that this pass, this cup can pass from me, this cup of suffering, this chalice of suffering that I have to drink to the death, is there any other way to do this? Well, then let's do it. <laughs> but there wasn't. There wasn't. And he accepted it. And so uh, th this is a, a great mystery. And we have to trust God in this with these events that are contradictions to us, that are uh, painful to us, circumstances that we have no control over. They're not necessarily willed by God again, but God does permit these things. How can we respond to these things with, with trust and with peace? Now that's that's even more difficult, this gift of peace that God gives us. And this is really what, what St. Paul writes about in Romans chapter 8, when he says, we know that in all things, not just some things, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. This is Romans 8.28, such a famous verse in the Bible. Well, this abandonment, to divine providence. This is what actually enables this to work. It's what enables Romans 8.28 to actually happen in our lives. When we trust God, when we, when we love his will, the, even the, the, the things that he allows to happen, this enables God to draw the good out of everything, even, even the objectively bad things that happen to us. We could draw a lot of good out of the good things, too. We have to thank him for the good things, too, and the joys that he gives us. That's part of his will for us as well. But we, we have to move here through these stages. We have to move from being resigned to God's will, the will of God, to accepting the will of God. And then finally, we got to go to stage three, which is loving the will of God. That's what St. Jose Maria said. So from resignation to acceptance to loving the will of God. We, we can fight against it. We can rebel against it. Um, but that's, that's going to be hard, as Father Philippe says, for the Holy Spirit to then guide our lives. And so when we're confronted with, with these painful circumstances, try not to rebel or, or just simply endure them or resign yourself to them. But you've got to accept the will of God. And this isn't being passive. It's not being fatalistic. We, we've got to change the things that we can. But Here's what St. Therese said. She said, I choose it all. I choose everything that God wants for me, everything that he allows for me. She says, I choose what I have not chosen. I choose what I have personally not chosen. Wow. And this is intriguing because with these events that God allows in our lives, we can't interpret them wrong. <laughs> There's no danger of being subjective, as Father Philippe says. These things are there. I mean, they're objectively there. And, and what are we going to do with them? 
It's such an important part of spiritual growth. Okay, we'll have to stop there, but we'll pick it up in the next episode of our series, The Holy Spirit, A Beginner's Guide. I'm your host, Kale Clark. This is The Faith Explained. We're not done yet, though. We've got to dip into today's question in The Faith Explained mailbag. Let's go for it. If you have a question for me, you can write it in at faith at relevantradio.com. That's the email address, faith at relevantradio.com. Or you could find me on Twitter and send your message that way. At Kale Clark is my handle, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So, okay, let's let's now look at this question that comes to me from Tammy in Northport, Florida, who is listening on the Relevant Radio app. And she says, Hi, Kale, isn't it true that the New Testament is shot through with pagan ideas, specifically mythology? And that's really what explains all the so-called miracles in the book. Okay, that, that's a very, very good question. That's a very good question. That This comes up a lot. And, and Tammy, I want to thank you for writing in, but I do want to disabuse you of this notion that the New Testament is shot through with mythology. That when you, when you see the miracles, things like the virginal conception of Jesus, uh, his control over nature, even the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, his bodily resurrection, a lot of people think this is nothing more than pagan mythology. That is not true. But before we get into that, I want to tell you where this idea really comes from. Well, it kind of got started in modern times by this guy named, he was a German scholar, a New Testament scholar, theologian named Rudolf Boltmann. And he lived in the 19th century in Germany, and, and he was hugely influential in New Testament studies. And, and he just insisted that the New Testament was full of mythology. And he actually, he said it must be, quote unquote, demythologized. He said that you really have to, almost like a corn or something like this, you, you need to get rid of the husk. He called it the husk of mythology. So you could get at the, quote unquote, kernel of truth. So he, he sort of thought that since the New Testament was written in, quote unquote, pre-scientific times, that the, the, the writers of the New Testament documents held to this sort of three-tiered view of the universe, where there was hell down below, we live in the world, quote unquote, on, you know, on earth in the middle, then up above is the realm of God, heaven, where, where the angels and saints are. Okay. So... They, Boltmann basically said, and his followers said, this is clearly not dealing with reality. The, these interventions from uh, otherworldly places, heaven, uh, how, how, how can we possibly explain this? It, it's, a, it's a supernaturalistic worldview, it's mythological, and no serious modern person could possibly believe this. So he, he said, really, the man Jesus is being lost with all this mythology that's been added onto him. And we got to strip that away to find out what quote unquote really happened. That, that's, that's essentially the, the backstory here. But he, here's the problem. Boltmann and his followers were, number one, they were ruling out the supernatural a priori. He just basically said, these things don't happen. Supernatural miracles cannot happen in the world. Now, that itself is a faith position. That's a faith position. That's not based on evidence. So, he, he's a person of faith, too. Now, now is his faith well-placed? I don't think so. I don't think so. This isn't the time to get into this right now, but I have talked about this ad nauseum on this program, also on the Kale Clark Show, the historical evidence 
for things like the miracles of Jesus, specifically for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So here's how we can respond to this, though, in in, in the general. I, I would say this. N- number one, when, when you look at what, aside from evidence for the resurrection, things like that, look at what the New Testament writers themselves say. Uh, for example, in 2 Peter, uh, a document that's attributed to the Apostle Peter, he says, we were not preaching cleverly invented myths. What we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, speaking about Jesus Christ. That's in 2 Peter 1.16. They were, uh, and he's talking about the transfiguration in that particular moment. But that could go for anything else that's miraculous in Jesus' career. The Apostle John, at the beginning of his gospel, at the beginning of one of his letters, he says, we have touched, we have seen the word of life. We experience the incarnate Christ. Here's somebody who would really know about these things, by the way, C.S. Lewis, who, of course, was a great convert to Christianity, uh, the brilliant Oxford scholar. Before he converted, don't forget what he did for a living. He was a doctor of literature. He looked at historical literature, specifically mythological stuff. He even wrote mythological stories himself. And one of the things that Lewis said was that sometimes critics of his work They just think that he has certain positions, but they've never actually talked to him about it. And and it's easy to say, well, the New Testament writers were were just teaching a bunch of mythology. But unfortunately, they've passed on now. We can't check with them. But but there's very good reason to believe that they were not writing mythology. First of all, all the New Testament documents were probably written within one generation of the death of Jesus. I think they're all written pre-70 AD, the destruction of the temple. But some people think some of them were written afterwards. It doesn't really matter. Scholars tell us that it takes at least two generations before a myth can develop about somebody, a historical person. We don't have that. There wasn't enough time for a myth to get going about the life of Christ. Don't forget, there were living eyewitnesses to the life, the career, the miracles of Jesus that were still plenty of them walking around in Galilee when the Gospels were being produced, when the Gospel was being spread. They easily could have refuted the stuff if it wasn't true. Think about the living eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus that St. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15. He mentions all kinds of people, 500 people, most of whom were still living, who encountered the resurrected Christ. Don't forget also, these documents were written by Jews who were absolutely antithetical to a pagan worldview. They, they were not into pagan mythology. And most of the, these mythological ideas came from paganism. They would have, wouldn't have had anything to do with this stuff. And it certainly wouldn't have convinced their fellow Jews that Jesus was the Messiah if they were preaching paganism. So the Jews, or, by the way, the Greeks uh, did not believe in resurrection like the Jews did. That's why when, when um, St. Paul goes to Athens in Acts chapter 17, People scoff at him when he starts teaching about the resurrection. There was one of their famous writers who said, once a person has died, the earth has drank of his blood, there is no resurrection. That's why they laughed at him. So these do not uh, betray any kind of paganism here. And any stories that borrow from Christianity or seem like they're saying the same thing about Christianity, God's becoming human, virgin births, This a lot of this stuff came after the New Testament was written. In other words, a lot of pagan myths were borrowing from the Bible, not the other way around. I wish we had more time to get into it, but hopefully that'll suffice. Thanks for joining me today on The Faith Explained. I'm your host, Kale Clark. If you missed an episode, you can always catch them in podcast form on the relevant radio app. I'll join you in the next one, and I'll be with you later today at 5 p.m. Central, right here on Relevant Radio for The Kale Clark Show. Until next time, God bless you.
You know, the word is spreading around America. This is the go-to place if you've got a prayer and you want the whole country praying for it. So I invite people to join us every night for the Family Rosary Across America Live. 7 p.m. Central. Bringing Christ to the world through the media. Relevant Radio.